Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who love a made-for-TV spinoff until they don't. I'm Hannah Leach, a multidisciplinary artist, audio producer, and anti-plastic. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and very brunette, not blonde. (laughs) We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are hosting a versus SmackDown between 2011's Mean Girls 2 and 2009's Legally Blondes. Because we love ourselves. <laughs> We're bringing a hate crime to the feed this week. And uh, perhaps we shouldn't say that as it could be a spoiler. But if you're a listener to Sleepover Cinema, you already know the tea with these movies, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. We haven't done a versus since season two or I think season I think. two. Because we did... um Click versus Bratz, that's season one. And then we did Heathers versus... We did Heathers versus The Craft. Yeah, Heathers versus The Craft. Also, let's not forget our masterpiece, Cowbells versus Material Girls. Yeah, okay. So So actually there's three. Yeah. It's pretty good. We haven't done one in a very, very, very long time. And these are a match made in hell. These two... They really, really are. We were originally just going to do Mean Girls 2. And then at the end of Mean Girls 2, at the end, they tried to like auto serve me legally blondes as like a next up. And I was like, shit, I think we have to add that one in. They know. They know that these two are these two are cousins. All right. Before we get into these movies, we have a question for the culture for this week. We asked this question on the Instagram story a couple weeks ago, but... Were you ever a mean girl in middle school or high school? I'm going to say no, but I did think of one particular instance where <laughs> Okay. I don't know that I was a mean girl, but you know, I th- I saw a lot of vulnerability in the responses. Yes. Um people yes. were really owning up to their sins, their past. Yeah, totally. I admire that. So I'm just going to talk about one time that I was a bitch, basically. Okay. Um, Because I've only been a bitch once. One time. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) And it was in the seventh grade. And this girl, so I was like an office runner or whatever. So much clout with that job. Yes. And this girl was the other office runner. And we were the only oh, two. I remember this, I think. Yeah. We were yeah. the only two of the period. So it was basically just us sitting at a round table. And then when they needed something, they would just like come out and ask us to do it. And to be frank, she annoyed the shit out of me. At this time, writing notes and putting them in the locker was like very popular because a lot of kids didn't have phones yet. I feel like there was, it was still at the point where like you really could not bring your cell phone out. So we were still writing longhand notes and putting them in each other's locker. And one time this girl, she wrote me a note asking if I would go, I think roller skating with her. And, you know, she really like wrote out the details or like how it would go down or whatever. Yeah. 
I was a bitch. I'm pretty sure I just didn't respond. I can't really imagine you doing anything other than that. Yeah, I don't I don't think, but to me that felt so I knew that it was mean, but I didn't care enough to like change the narrative because she annoyed me. I remember this. That's, yeah. that's how vulnerable it was. Because I remember being like, what if you just did it? And you were like, girl, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And that's how you, that's how I knew it was bad. If you wouldn't yeah. give her a chance. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, if, if the situation had been less decided in my head, I, I probably would have gone. I was, I mean, yes. I mean, I had mean like moments. I think I was a gossip and that wasn't good. Like I was never out there like bullying people. I feel like in our school, at least in my grade in high school, like there really wasn't that much of a hierarchy. I didn't feel that way either because not to bring up, clicks are very important in this episode. But like yes. cliques were so off in their own world. It's just that every section has their own hierarchy. And so if you're yeah. you're in your section, yes. you yes. only care about your own hierarchy. Like what business do I have caring about the cheerleading yeah. hierarchy? Right. And it was always interesting to like get the gossip from the different areas. So yeah. for me. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I won homecoming my junior year and the person that I won it with was not like a popular person by any means. It was very much like who had charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent. I hate the joke nominations though. Oh, those are fucked up. I hate them. They always, I feel like prom king was always a joke. And that's don't say that because Chris was prom king. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, you no. have to leave that in. Chris was if, not a joke. No, if Chris it's if drama it, no, 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 for real. If it's a gay guy, it's not a joke. Yeah, which is crazy because it's the anti-glee. Yes. If it's a class clown, it's a joke. If it's, you know, if it's not like the class clown. I feel like if you're the class clown, you have clout though. Mm, it depends. Think like the stoner guy in Clueless. Yeah, but was he the class clown? Or like the guy in High School Musical where everyone's always like, oh, this guy. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy who always talks back to Miss Darbus. It's like if they made him prom king. He goes like, so how was your holiday, Miss Darbus? And everyone's like, oh, fuck this guy. It's if they made that guy prom king. I know there were joke nominations for stuff. Even though I feel like you might have had to choose to run. We could just make a whole episode on that subject, honestly. But let's um, let's try to keep it pumping, shall we? We're going to start off with Mean Girls 2. You fell head over heels for the first Mean Girls. Kind of psychic. Really? It's like I have ESPN or something. Now, the plastics. Who are the plastics? They're teen royalty. Are back. So embarrassing how much they love me. Oh, I'm gonna vomit. It's their world. Stay down there and don't ever look at me again. But now it's her turn. Who is she? There's tons of comments. All the guys think she's hot. To get even. This is war. No, the plastics are goddesses, and Mandy can ruin you. Hey, Abby. Anti-plastics. Wow. That's pretty hot. Maybe we should go to a movie or something? You don't know who he is. He's my shop partner, and I've seen him without a shirt. Hey, 
Good enough for me. Do not be dumb with me. I don't have to play dumb. You officially earned detention for a week. No, 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 no. In solitary confinement. The party's about to get extremely unsanitary. Wait, nobody's puking. Bon appetit. <laughs> totally worth it. All right, shake hands. Okay, then. Mean Girls 2. Own it on DVD February 2011. Peace out! I just want to list the things that Mean Girls 2 has in common with the original Mean Girls, which came out in 2004. The plastics as a concept are in Mean Girls 2. There is a vaguely alternative girl being <laughs> bullied in both of them. There is like a straight guy love interest being used as like Bait. turf in like a turf war. Yeah. And <laughs> what what else is there? That's in common. <laughs> they failed miserably, but they tried to make another, you know, slightly tomboy character who moves around a lot. Like Katie Heron moved and she's a tomboy in the beginning. Like there's, it's more like yeah. threads of similarity rather than like a remake. You can really sense in every moment of the film that they are just, they're grasping for glory and they're just falling. <laughs> they're just falling yeah. so fast. Yes. In both of these films have cast every second to third tier Disney and Nick star. <laughs> I know. I know. The failed like vehicles to to further their career. It's unfortunate. It's the, the GBF method. Mean Girls 2 aired on ABC Family, red flag number one, on January 23rd, 2011. It was directed by Melanie Mayron, best known for directing Jane, do you know this person? This was directed by a woman? Yes. Are you kidding? No. No. She was a woman. I know. She's best known for directing Jane the Virgin, Pretty Little Liars, Naked Brothers Band, The Babysitter's Club movie. And she was also the star of the movie Girlfriends. The screenplay was written by three highly accomplished writers. The first two being a writing duo named Cliff Ruby and Alana Lesser. They co-created Dragon Tales. They wrote Balto. They wrote for Alvin and the Chipmunks, the TV series, and also Arthur, Molly of Denali, Land Before Time, and a million Barbie productions. So if Cliff, Ruby, and Alana Lesser ring a bell, that is why. And then, okay, this was interesting. And then we have Allison Schroeder, who wrote Hidden Figures, Christopher Robin, Heart of Stone, and was a writer on Frozen 2. Okay, so for the synopsis, Common Sense Media always has beautifully written synopses, and I think that we should read this whole thing just to give people the context that is needed. Yeah. Joe Mitchell, Megan Martin, for, for those who need to know, aka the <laughs> cool girl in Camp Rock, is perpetually the new girl in school, the daughter of a NASCAR mechanic. She's spending her senior year at North Shore High, her sixth school in four years. Usually, Joe keeps to herself, but when she stands up to a trio of girls who rule the school, Queen Bee Mandy, vapid sexpot Chastity, they named her Chastity, I know. I know. and well-dressed germaphobe Hope, she finds herself the target of their mean girl viciousness. 
confusing matters is the class's wealthy wallflower, Abby, played by Jennifer Sohn, aka Harper in Wizards of Waverly Place, whose rich father offers Joe college tuition in exchange for befriending Abby. Joe accepts the deal and winds up becoming best friends with Abby, falling for Mandy's sweet stepbrother, Tyler, and eventually rivaling the plastics for social control of the school. There's just so much <laughs> happening for no reason. No also, reason. Okay, I know we're going to get into this later, but I got like very confused by the stepbrother Me thing. Me too. Taglines, the plastics are back and Mean has met its match. Okay, for the cast, I only talked about three people, actually four people, because who cares? We have Megan Martin as Joe Mitchell. As Audrey said, she was Tess in Camp Rock, which is funny because she's like the mean girl in Camp Rock and she's like the cool girl in this movie. She was also in 10 Things I Hate About You and she is a video game voice actor pretty prolifically, a prolific video game voice actor now. Then we have Myra Walsh as Mandy. When I went to her IMDb page, there was immediately a trailer involving Gravitas Ventures, where Audrey interned in Cleveland. She was in Switched at Birth, Good Trouble, and The Last Ship. She was in Secret Life of the American Teenager, credited as Girl in Light Blue Pajamas. And she also was on Desperate Housewives. You forgot her main credit, Corey in the House. Uh, wait, who is she? She looked familiar, but I couldn't place it. She's like the girl main character in that show. And then we have Jennifer Stone as Abby Harper on Wizards of Waverly Place. She also was in this movie called The In-Between a couple years ago. And otherwise has kind of just been like vibing. And then, of course, we have to acknowledge that Tim Meadows reprises his role as Principal Duvall, which I was like, why the hell are you here grifting? But then I was like, wait, I guess it kind of makes sense because if it's still North Shore, it's like- the same school. Then I guess that works. I- tried to find if there were any interviews of like Tina Fey remarking on this movie. And she did say that she didn't know Tim Meadows was in it. And if she did know that, she claims she would have done a pass on the script to give him more jokes. Yeah. And then she also said, and I have a quote from this, she did an interview with Howard Stern and he was like probing her, being like, it was horrible, right? About Mean Girls 2. And she said, I don't know. Sometimes it's okay to not make a sequel, right? Just something to keep in mind. And now she's, you know, fully put her energy behind the film adaptation of the musical version that is coming out now. I know. And I'm like, it's kind of surprising. I'm scared. But we won't get into it. But it is kind of surprising. You wouldn't, she sees the money in it, obviously. We don't know the budget. It was probably $10. And when it comes to critic and audience opinions, there's no critic score. Because why would there be? But I did pull this from a review from Hilary Busis of Entertainment Weekly. This was written the week that it came out. Taken on its own merits, Mean Girls 2 isn't a total travesty. Amanda Bynes lookalike Megan Martin, question mark, had some appeal as the movie's Lindsay Lohan surrogate. But as a supposed sequel to one of the best comedies of the 2000s, it's pretty heinous. By all means, make ripoffs about bitchy teenage girls one-upping each other at a school presided over by Principal Tim Meadows. Just don't sully Mean Girl's reputation by associating those ripoffs with Tina Fey's masterpiece. Audience score, 
for this movie on Rotten Tomatoes was 30%. It's generous. I know. The Letterboxd average star rating was 1.3 stars. Audrey, would you care to read these three audience opinions? Two stars. I am confused as to why they created this. Was there a purpose? 0.5 stars. Jesus Christ. One (laughs) of the few movies to genuinely make me mad because it's so bad. So to answer the question, why was this movie made? So this movie was made by a branch of Paramount called Paramount Famous Productions. And this is what they were. Paramount Famous Productions was a made-for-home entertainment division of Paramount Pictures. It primarily developed home entertainment sequels to films from Paramount Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures pre-2005, and other Paramount-related properties. And this was the last one that they ever made. They only made five. With good reason. (laughs) Yes. So Paramount Famous tried and failed. That's all we have for (laughs) Mean Girls 2 information-wise. I tried to keep it a little bit shorter than normal because we also have to talk about Legally Blondes. Meet Izzy and Annie Woods. They possess the same perky DNA as Elle Woods. Thank you. Two sisters who are making the move from London to L.A. in the next Legally Blonde adventure. Now, they're starting a new school. There's two of them? I think we have room for two more. They are hot. (laughs) And they're working from the Al Woods Book of Rules. Everybody know what to do? Blonde rule one, think pink. Pink looks good with anything. Ah. Blonde rule two, be bold. We have a reputation drop hole. Goldilocks make Justin Bear happy. Who do those bottle blonde bimbos think they are? Blonde Rule 3, believe in yourself. We hold our students to a higher standard. Don't let pack prep change you. You change pack prep. We just have to stick together and refuse to be intimidated. Let's show our true colors, shall we? And you rock and you roll and you just can't take it. Article 8, paragraph 3 expressly states the uniform shirt must be monochromatic. Article 6. Point two E does not forbid accessorizing said skirt. Starring Millie and Becky Rosso, as seen on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I've got my eye on both of you. Reese Witherspoon presents Legally Blonde. Lip and wave always works. So Legally Blondes came out in 2009. Keep in mind that Legally Blonde, the first one, came out in 2001, and Legally Blonde 2 came out in 2003. Before I get into these facts... What are the things in common between Legally Blonde 1 and 2 and Legally Blondes? Well, the claim is that (laughs) these girls are Elle Woods' cousins from England. So, it is uh, quite a step up from the old musty flat back home, eh? This is a step up from Buckingham Palace. (laughs) Best of all, it doesn't cost a penny. Cousin Elle spends most of her time back in D.C. lobbying, so she's let us... uh, and now, squat here, take it over. It's like a dream. Oh, I suppose I could get used to it. You know, that's the actual connection to Legally Blonde, the film. Also, Reese Witherspoon shockingly was involved. I know. Probably just giving money here. Yeah. I don't think she actually had anything to do with the production. There's a portrait of her in the house and they're like supposed to be staying in her house. I don't know. Yeah. But plot wise, the connections are basically boiled down to being underestimated for being blonde. (sighs) 
which actually Barely. happens in Legally Blonde. It doesn't actually happen in Legally Blonde. The other similarity is just that it, this all ends in a courtroom scene. <laughs> yes, and that is actually it. Oh, but let's also not forget the um, teacher who's like a Holland Taylor impersonator. Yeah. Legally Blondes came out on DVD on April 28th, 2009. And then shortly after premiered on ABC Family, again, Red Flag, on August 2nd of that same year. It was directed by Savage Steve Holland. Interestingly, like on his IMDb, he tries to present himself as like an animator mostly. He's directed episodes of Malibu Rescue, Big Time Rush, Zeke and Luther, Unfabulous, Ned's Declassified, Phil of the Future, Zoe 101, Stuck in the Suburbs, Lizzie McGuire, Even Stevens, and Encyclopedia Brown. His fingerprints are all over our canon here. So he has done good things in his time. Keep in mind that he's mostly a TV director because this will come back later on. The screenplay was written by Chad Gomez-Creasy and his then wife, Dara Gomez-Creasy. They have since split, <laughs> perhaps due to the, um, the abject pain caused by the screenplay of Legally Blondes. But Chad Gomez-Creasy wrote the screenplay for Sidney White along with his wife. And independently, he is an executive producer on NCIS, a supervising producer on Castle and Mistresses. And then Dara, since she was married to Chad, she has been the showrunner of Home Before Dark. And she's the executive producer of The Horror of Dolores Roach. Synopsis from Common Sense Media. <laughs> In this straight-to-DVD extension of the Legally Blonde franchise, Legally Blondes tells the story of the twin British cousins of Elle Woods who are as gorgeous, fashion-obsessed, and smart as their American cousin. Coming with their widowed professor father to live in Beverly Hills, Annabelle and Isabel Woods attend Posh Pacific Academy on partial scholarship and make an immediate impression with their friendly and confident demeanor. But a jealous classmate finds their combination of beauty and brains unsettling and plots <laughs> to expose their financial situation and get them expelled. Plots to expose their financial situation gets tied up within like the first 20 minutes. So also, that's good. Some like the idea of be someone's beauty and brains being unsettling is really funny. Tagline. They're bold, they're blonde, and they're about to rule the school. No. Ugh, amazing. The cast. I literally just wrote down three people. So first of all, we have the Rosso twins, Millie and Becky. We're going to come back to them, but just know that they are the blonde twin love interests from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody and The Sweet Life on Deck. We have Brittany Curran as Tiffany. She was super familiar to me and I couldn't place why, but she was one of the six chicks in 13 Going on 30. And I think that is why. She also was in Dear White People and The Magicians. And as a kid, she was also on Sweet Life. She was in Drake and Josh and Wait, in Go Figure. Is this the main mean girl that you're talking about? Yes. She's also the mean girl in Jump In. That is it. Okay. And that explains it. Her little friend is the love interest for Nick Jonas in Camp Rock 2. So budget 
also unsure. But critic and audience opinions. This was a critic review from Cinema Blend. Audrey, I would like you to read this. It's good summer fun with throwbacks to the original, including a modified version of the bend and snap. Girl, that that did not come across. The flip and wave. And some random moments, like a truly bizarre scene involving two trampolines, it'll most likely appeal to tweens and is at the very least tolerable for parents looking to spend some quality time in front of the TV with their kids this Sunday night. Some quality time in front of the TV seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, but that's okay. Okay, audience opinions. Half a star. Don't watch this unless you hate yourself. (laughs) And then we have 1.5 stars. This is a long one. It was so, 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 so bad and so embarrassing to be considered part of the Legally Blonde franchise, but the trampoline scene is probably the funniest thing I've actually lulled at in a movie in a long time. The movie was basically over and I still didn't know what the plot of this was. Every single choice made in this was absolutely bonkers. I don't know, man. I mean, we did at least watch the whole thing, which is more than I can say for some movies. Ask me tomorrow. It might be camp. Edit. It's only been like three hours and I've decided it was camp and bumped it up a star. That leads to the thing that we always say, which is people don't know what camp is, but we already know that. And then the last review, 1.5 stars, so mid. You could actually maybe make the argument for camp here because it was trying to be earnestly marketable. So why does this movie exist? You may be asking. So it was a canceled TV pilot, allegedly, which to me, I don't really get canceled TV pilot from it, but... Okay. And it was created by MGM, Mark Platt Productions of Ben Platt fame. Ben Platt's father. And Type A Productions, which is Reese Witherspoon's company. It is tied to this movie. So that's basically not an explanation, but that was like the best I could find because there's shockingly little information on this production on the internet. Okay. Now it's time to talk about Perhaps the most mysterious figures of this era of Disney Channel. This is Millie and Becky. So they played Janice and Jessica, love interests for Zach and Cody, as previously stated. And they also were in That's So Raven as Chrisette 1 and 2. Becky and Millie were discovered in the audience of their favorite TV show, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, by one of the producers. A few months later, they filmed six episodes of the show. So apparently they like got plucked and did one episode. And then afterwards they were like, the people love you. And so they like took acting classes and then came back. So there were five sisters. The oldest one did not join the band, but they formed a girl group with the four younger sisters, including Millie and Becky. They opened for Demi Lovato on her South American tour in 2014. It's also important to know, just like as a fun fact, they're very much like British presenting, but they're half, this is super vague, but they describe themselves as half Latin American and half British. Our mom is English and our dad's Latino. We grew up between England and Venezuela, Colombia. So we're a hot mess, basically. The reason it makes sense that they opened for Demi is because they were managed by the Jonas Brothers' father, who had all that shit on lock. Right. Now, these girls have not posted anything as a unit or as individuals on social media since 2015, which to me, I'm like, where are the burner accounts? But maybe they just actually aren't on it. They probably do have burner accounts. So they haven't posted anything since their mom 
passed away in 2015 of pancreatic cancer, which is super duper sad. And they made this post about it that I thought was really interesting and just like worth reading. They said, our mother passed away after fighting an extremely tough battle with pancreatic cancer. She was our best friend and inspiration and the most caring, loving, selfless, kind-hearted person we could ever imagine. After much thought and consideration, we have decided not to carry on with our girl group and making music and to close this chapter of our lives, even though it was just the beginning and we hadn't released music in the U.S. yet. Our hopes and dreams for the future have changed. We'll never forget the amazing memories we made as a music group while it lasted. And we're so happy we had the chance to meet and talk to genuinely sweet and supportive fans like you guys. We are so grateful. We love you. It's so sad. I know. And and interesting. I know. Like to think where they may potentially be today if they had. Like, I know they definitely would have at least mildly crossed over to the U.S., but they could have if they continued on that Disney Channel track, they could be in like maybe like an Ali and AJ type situation now. Yeah, I will say I tried to find like anything and I think it was on like a Reddit thread. I saw someone say that they found their Facebooks and that they're both happily married. Okay. So... That's cool. That also led me down a rabbit hole of looking for their Facebooks, which was extremely unfruitful, but I did give it a shot. We respect their decision to leave the spotlight. They seem like really sweet and passionate and solid individuals. They do. However, that is not going to prevent us from bringing a critical <laughs> eye to Legally Blondes. And it's it is not, even not worth bringing a critical eye to. And I'm glad that these particular twins got out of Dodge because I'm yeah. sure that's very challenging. Like yeah. it's already probably hard enough just to be to be an identical twin and to be compared all the time. But to do it on a global scale would be like a lot. Both of these movies are sullying the good name of Max right now. You can go watch them if you would like to lose several brain cells. (laughs) Yes, many brain cells. Go give it a watch and join us for what will surely be a rousing Socratic seminar. Socratic seminar. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. We are back to compare two formative texts. 
We are going to talk about Mean Girls 2 and Legally Blondes in conversation with one another. Right off the bat, why do they both have to have dead moms? It's just one of those inexplicable trends that... It's like in Disney stuff in general, moms are dead. I think the reason they choose it is because it's an instant shortcut to the crux, the emotional crux. Well, okay, theoretically, it's easy to decide what they need to overcome or like what is challenging for them. But then like these movies like choose to like not focus on that also. Yes, yes. I don't know why. I don't even know. Because Elle Woods and Katie Heron, they have two alive parents that are together. And that are like active that are in the movie. They're in the movie. Yeah. Also, I loved in Legally Blondes where they were like, I can't do the accent, but like, things have been so rough since mother died. I was tired when that when that parallel emerged. Same. You know how for every Broadway musical, there's a junior version? Yes. Do you think that's basically the idea? It's like, let's make the junior version of these great yeah. films. They're such good titles and such bad products. Yeah. The the perspective that both of these movies have on the concept of Mean Girls is so baffling. Yes. And so far from reality that it like was pissing me off because mm-hmm. yes, Mean Girls are real, but they're not real like this. And sometimes after it gets really grating after a while, when you actually like step out of yourself and realize that young girls are being force fed this information that is so completely untrue yeah, about, you know, what high school might be like or how you treat people basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) the amount of fake discrimination that goes on. So let's just start off with Mean Girls 2 and then I will, because, you know, you can't really talk about two movies at once. We'll come back to it at the end. We'll come back to the compare and contrast. I don't appreciate anything about Mean Girls 2. However, (laughs) if Joe Mitchell is like somehow a Joni Mitchell reference, I think that's really funny. (laughs) But I don't think it actually is. But when they said that that was her name, I was like, what? That did not occur to me, but agreed. (laughs) Yeah. You know how when we covered Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, we talked about how dumb Austin Butler's point of view was here? Yeah. Because he's like, you've changed. But meanwhile, she just like got a job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This movie is also in the same fashion as Mean Girls, attempting the you've changed storyline. But here's the thing. Megan's character, Joe was an absolute bitch from the start. They are attempting something in this movie and in Legally Blondes where your protagonist is never coming from a deficit. Like, why is it that... Yeah. Why is it that the protagonists are coming in hot, like telling yeah. off the bully on day one? Yeah. Like, that, this is not how There's no struggle to follow here. Right. So they just like start at 10 and have like wars right off the bat. Why is Megan going up to the mean girl and like calling her a bitch in the hallway? I know. She's like, I had that thought too. Like when it was like, she's being bullied. I was like, 
she doesn't really seem to like, there's no power dynamic here that is like putting her at a deficit, as you said. No, I said, how is she being bullied? She's also a bully. <laughs> like, yes. like, like I would say these girls are evenly matched from day one. Yeah. Like she's not taking any shit. And I think like in a bad way, she's not taking any yeah. shit because she's not taking the higher road, which I think no. is a weird choice for the protagonist. Like in Mean Girls, you know, she's shy at first. She's kind of going along with it. And as her power grows, she becomes bitchier. She becomes meaner. And that's the way the character grows. She learns not to be that way when she no longer has any real friends and everything falls apart. That is like what you actually, if you want to reflect any version of humanity, that is what you need to do. Yes. Um, But it seems like the writers are concerned with, it almost seems like they were, they were overcorrecting for a non-issue. That is, well, we can't have our protagonist like be bullied. Like she needs to like stand up for herself from the start. But that is not actually solving anything. (laughs) Two things just popped into my mind. The first thing is that, okay, like speaking to the power dynamic thing, there is like such a weird averaging out of like the personalities and, and the looks of like all of the girls, including the one who's supposed to be the weird one. Yeah. There's nothing weird about her at all. <laughs> Did I? Am I missing something? <laughs> no, I think they just were putting casting first for like promotional reasons. Like they were just trying to gather as many Disney stars as they yeah. could and filling out every role with them. It's not like any of these mm-hmm. girls are like way prettier than the others or like way different. In fact, I think it's really weird that they casted Megan as Joe when she is like, as in Camp Rock, she is like the physical archetype of the mean girl role. And it, I'm kind of wondering if they like swapped uh, Mayara and Megan's roles yeah. for like some reason, like in, in like a Brenda song, Ashley Tisdale yeah. move, but it yeah. just didn't pan out. I would have rather seen Mayara in that role. Me too. If I had to choose. (laughs) Me too. Wait, I was confused about the school because why were they talking about Ohio? Isn't North Shore in Michigan? Yeah. No, North Shore is in Illinois. Oh. It's by Evanston. But she's from Ohio. That is the story. I was like, really giggling at the concept of like dying to go to Carnegie Mellon. Like I know. Also when she gets the check at the end and it's 50K, I'm like, girl, that's not enough to go to Carnegie Mellon. No. Not all four years. No. I felt like this movie had the feeling of having been made in like a 24 hour film festival. And also written by chat GPT. (laughs) Yeah. It was just slapped. It felt so slapped together. Written by chat GPT. Okay. Really good point. Because in the very beginning, when, okay, when they show the picture of her and her dad fixing the car and she's a little girl. Yeah. She has pigtails. And the line goes, ignore the pigtails. I was much more naive (laughs) back then. I'm like, what? You oh, were like yeah. a baby. Listen, 
So that whole voiceover situation, why did nobody throw her a bone and tell her to read it like a normal person instead of like she was reading for the very first time ever? I know. Like there is a way to read that line. Like there is a way to deliver it where that could be a joke that it wouldn't be a funny joke, but it would at least make sense if you used the right tone. Yes. But she was reading it like she got called on in class. And that's why it was weird. Also, a chat GPT moment is when the popular girl comes up to Joe and is like, I'll show you who to make friends with around here. And she's like, I think I can figure that out for myself. Thanks. I'm like, that's literally from Harry Potter, like word for word. And I'm like, where do they get that? Like, And then she was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah. I'm so bad. Wait, do you remember the moment where this actually, I watched this movie on a plane and I was fully covering my mouth because I thought it was so funny. It's this like short little jump cut moment and this is I don't even know what it was trying to portray but it's like all these random students smiling in yes, jump cuts. yes yes and I was like is this supposed to mean is this supposed to imply this like us classmates standing in front of her giving their approval via smiling yes. yeah. <laughs> because the way that they're posing is very much like they're being photographed like for like the yearbook <laughs> and when they're standing next to each other like arms around each other just like was, teasing and so it, it's like an, it's like an oddly wide shot and they aren't moving and it's like <laughs> what am i supposed to take from this I absolutely know what you're talking about. And the the choice to (laughs) show the date in photos almost sent me to another planet. (laughs) I know. They were just like, "Mm, not filming that. Here's a montage. We're we're not going to do that scene. And it's not even a montage. It's a slideshow. It's a slideshow of images that feel so outside the realm of the film that I was was just, it was painful. It was really painful. Yes. I want to talk about the weird thread of in the beginning of the movie. She's like, I'm not friends with girls. Girls are too much drama. And then later on, she's like, "Mm, I guess girls aren't so bad. (laughs) But then like (laughs) girls are that bad in this movie. Yeah. They're actually terrible. (laughs) And also she thrusts herself into the depths of girl drama immediately. On purpose and like totally by choice. I have a problem with the way that they're portraying cool girls. Because, okay, because what's weird about the Mean Girls 2 is that who is supposed to be popular, I can't even perceive as being cool because they care too much. You might care a lot on the inside, but a huge part of the appeal is how you don't give a shit, basically. Right, So to have these girls be so verbally intense to each other defeats the purpose of the concept of Mean Girls that the actual movie does a good job of portraying. Like, you know, I love your bracelet. Where did you get it? And then five seconds later, that's the ugliest bracelet I've ever seen. Like, okay, that's a great little example of the manipulativeness of a Mean Girl. Instead, they just walk up to each other like, you're a fucking bitch. (laughs) I know, I know. Is that all you got? Going after my dad, you spoiled narcissistic bitch. That's his job, not some play toy for you. Yeah, like the blatantness (laughs) of it all. Like, for example, the screaming about her being a virgin when there's been like no sex 
talk like at all until then. Why do you think they chose to make her love interest the stepbrother of the mean girl? Do you think that it was an attempt, like another overcorrection that didn't need to happen where they're like, okay, let's make it so, let's subvert tropes and make it so our protagonist and antagonist aren't fighting over a guy because he's her stepbrother. I have absolutely no idea what their concept was. <laughs> it's very was. puzzling. Wait, okay. Can you explain to me like what the deal is? Because there's like two hunky guys and I don't remember yes. like what they are. The other hunky guy was the mean girl's actual boyfriend. Yes. Um, Who had no real relevance to Joe's character. Yes. He just was um, a part of the scheming. Wait, rewind though. <laughs> the, the stepbrother <laughs> is the one who bugged the car, right? Because, okay, there's no. this part of the movie where like- No. Oh, right, right, right. Because it's the, the, the stepbrother borrowed the boyfriend's car yeah. and the boyfriend had bugged the car. Yes. he, he And actually, that's similar to Legally Blonde. The boyfriend of the mean girl, it plays a key role in the yes. scheming. That also kind of reminds me of um, that thing in Bratz where for some reason her dancing with her grandma is like a massive humiliation. <laughs> like it reminds like, me of that too. what the too. hell? I even yeah. thought back then, like this isn't bad. I don't even remember what the context was, but it was kind of near the end where Joe like walks into the hallway and there's just girls sitting in like the middle of the hallway on the ground. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that part? yes. <laughs> that was very confusing to me. And then why are they playing soccer at the end? What is the situation? It's actually flag football. Why are they doing that? Joe challenged the mean girl to a powder puff game of football because they're going to settle it like men. <laughs> what? <laughs> she Let's literally what? says that. Their issues... <laughs> <laughs> but like what's what's at stake um I don't know <laughs> oh my god okay that was the part of the movie where I like fully clocked out like I was like I don't know what the fuck is going on at this point yeah same I started fast forwarding 10 seconds to get through this freaking game because it took forever and I didn't care because I knew what the outcome was gonna be yeah should we move on yeah I mean, it's puzzling. I can't, I can't make this movie make sense. I know. Everyone take a deep centering breath. <laughs> As we move in to Legally Blondes, you start the movie and you got immediate apple chancery. Red flag. Literally the whole thing is a red flag. One of my favorite parts is when, and I'm almost like, am I right? When they enter Elle's apartment and there's just like a pink filter like over the... Like, everything is white in there, clearly, but they just, like, put a pink filter on top of everything. Yeah. And then they don't even, like, keep it consistent after that. Well, okay, I just have a little question for you, which is now that you live in L.A., how do you feel about, like, L.A. propaganda montages? I felt, I actually thought that in Legally Blondes, it was, like, pretty accurate. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, like, I was like, I mean, obviously, and what I mean by accurate is, like, they were actually there. <laughs> yes, I was actually wondering. I was like, they look like they're really there. Is yeah. that true? There were some stock shots, 
But that first time that they go out um, and shop, they were actually on Rodeo, I think. And I mean, it makes sense. It's like, I'm sure they did. I think they actually did shoot in California. Thank God. (laughs) It actually makes sense to shoot here for this. Not Canada. Thank God. No Toronto streets for us. Yeah. The mean girl in this movie feels like budget Liz Gillies to me. The entire thesis of Legally Blonde does not apply to this movie. It's not relevant. These girls are like, clearly would be very threatening if you feel inferior to pretty girls, I guess. Yes. Like that's very clear. But the thing is like all the girls are pretty in this movie. So correct. Calling someone blonde if they are blonde is not an insult. No, it's not. This race war with with hair colors is like really weird. Yes. Wait. Okay. This is what I thought you were going to say. Speaking of race war, when they show the scholarship kids and it's like all people of color except for like one guy. Was it ever true that being on scholarship would make you less cool. Because here's like, from my perspective, it's always been like, oh, you're on scholarship. Therefore, you actually earned a place here, which is like, uh, you actually earned something. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is just paying to be there. The logic of that kind of throws me. Yeah. Well, to me, I w- I'm always like, I freaking wish I was the scholarship person. I'm not smart enough to be the scholarship person. Yeah, yeah, same. Like, uh, I don't know though. In this movie, it's very much in the realm of like being rich is the coolest thing. And like these girls will learn one day. They will learn that it's actually like embarrassing to be running around saying, I don't have a scholarship. (laughs) Yeah, that is embarrassing. Did you notice and appreciate how insane the chairs were that they were sitting in yes. in the classroom? It was like Dumbledore's they thrones. They were thrones. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the seats in their classroom had really tall backs that yep. they looked as though they were made of like like half inch plywood though. Like they yes. looked like they were just kind of sat on a normal like chair. It was, a, it was like a high school <laughs> drama club prop. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> there were like, like a oh. billion of them, which yeah. was funny. It did not give much to the space. I mean, it gave a lot. It gave too yes. much, actually. Yes. You know, you might be right. Production value wise, did you notice blown out sound and really bad ADR? Yes. And they also changed, um, they changed their frames per second a few times. Really? I noticed that. Yeah. Wow. And it was like, depending on the scene, which I understand, like, for example, the trampoline scene, they they would shoot in a higher FPS. So they would have the ability to slow it down or speed it up if they want to. Speaking of that scene, the adult ass <laughs> stunt doubles that they I put. Know. So the, they might've even been men, honestly. I know. They might've been men in wigs. It was horrendous. <laughs> My favorite part is like when the one girl's doing like a bridge backwards and it's just like going back and forth in the bridge like over and over again. And it's like, they're not even looking at each other by the end. They're both just like popping it's off. Like a, it's like a cartoon. Like, <laughs> Let's try something easy. Like 
go to to like portray teen girls competing but in ways that just literally have not happened yeah (laughs) Yeah. like this has not happened in life there's about a million other things you could have chosen I actually want to rewatch that scene so badly (laughs) I kept pausing it trying to get a shot of the stunt double and I finally did and it, it's like of the stunt double, like on the descent, like arms up, wig flying in the air. And it's basically a meme template. Well, you can see their faces. And like the wigs are not secured. And they yeah. just like never talk about it. Like the only thing I put under appreciate is people are definitely going to respect you as soon as you put on your ballet flats and colorful leggings. <laughs> so the whole thing with that is that the girls and their scholarship friends are like, we're going to express ourselves and not break the rules. So they like kind of customize their uniforms like while not breaking dress code. The thing that I found to be kind of confusing is like the twins do not wear ties. They wear some like other iteration of the uniform, but then it's like all of the scholarship kids that, and that includes a girl, wear ties And when they talk about people wearing the ties, they're like, boys wear ties. And I was like, is this a trans person? Like, what's happening? (laughs) Uh, Literally, at some point, I just turned my brain off entirely with this one. My notes stopped after flip and wave because I was like, I could not possibly, like, I don't have space in my mind (laughs) for this. Like, what's the, did you notice when they were trying the flip and wave on the woman? Yes. And I was like, okay. I genuinely don't know how we can possibly pick between these two. (laughs) No. I almost want to say, it's like, you know, judging it off what? Like, which one is better? I don't think I could choose which one is better. Well, I don't know. Should we pick the one we hated more? I don't even know. I mean, what else can I say about Legally Blonde? There's a plot about, there's this little like romantic B-plot misunderstanding thing where one of the twins is into one guy, but oh yeah, I actually had a question about this. This is a plot that shows up in Mary-Kate and Ashley movies as well. Yeah. What does it mean for a boy to like one identical twin over the other. Yes, like obviously these are two separate people that have their own personalities, of course. But what does it mean for a teen boy to choose one identical twin over the other? If he had like a million classes with one of them and like didn't know the other one, I could see. Yeah, right, right. If you met them at the same time and you know them in the exact same way, the plot line is that, Annie, I think it was. Annie likes this boy 
And the boy likes her too, but he's too afraid to tell her. So he instead consults with her twin sister for the entire movie and basically flirts with his twin sister for the, with her twin sister for the entire movie, misleading her right, rightfully so to think that he's into her sister. And she's sad about that because she likes him. Yeah. It's a dumb little miscommunication plot line, but it did give me pause about the concept of liking when you're that young, like really liking one twin over the other when they look exactly the same and are being portrayed as being exactly the same for the most part. Like obviously I don't twins in real life thing. are not like that. You know what? If you're a twin, if you're an identical twin, please let us know what that would yes. be. <laughs> yes. Is there I'm any curious. truth to this? If you're nervous or something, I guess it does make sense to consult with the person who knows them the best. Like I could see that, I guess, but it's just kind of concerning. It feels, it also feels like an excuse to talk to the twin. Yeah. Don't you think that would give the wrong impression? Like, I think you should just talk to the one you're interested in. And then they just like throw in a love interest for the other one. I hate it when movies do that. I know. The court scene made me want to KMS. <laughs> I know. I didn't. I I could not. The whole thing is that it's like one of them is academically achieving and the other one is like good at like speaking. Yeah. The whole thing. And, I, and they I, have I to like take, it. she like takes the other one's place in the courtroom because one of them, the one who's good at talking gets locked in a bathroom because of the conniving boyfriend of the mean girl. Mm-hmm. And then she gets out and then their briefcases are switched. And then, and <sighs> then she, she decides to use her brain and puts her hair in a ponytail. And then she talks about a shoe scuff in the classroom, which proves that he had to have made the cheating scandal happen. Which I'm like slumping in my chair. <laughs> Just don't do this. I don't literally cannot it. explain. It's so bad. It's really bad. Okay. 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 I think if it comes down to which one is better, I'm torn because this conversation is making me think Mean Girls too, but the problem is that the trampoline scene is like so good. <laughs> Let's measure it on certain criteria and then see which one oh wins more. Okay. So okay. protagonists, Joe versus twins. Who do I like the like? twins. I like the twins. I like the twins more. I actually think Joe is one of the most hateable protagonists I've ever seen in a movie in my life. Yes. There's nothing redeemable about this woman. She sucks. I agree. I agree. <laughs> she literally took a bribe. She's crazy. (laughs) How about on setting? Well, the settings are similar, but suburban high school, LA private school. These are the moments that I question my whole life (laughs) having to make this choice. (laughs) I guess I'll go with LA. Yeah, I'm going to pick that too. (laughs) It's, It's more exotic. Oh, let's say the mean girl. So Mayara Walsh and then Miss Jump In. They're literally the same. (laughs) They're both awful and they both make no sense. I think I have to pick Jump In Girl. It's a wash. I think I I have to pick Jump In Girl because first of all, she was in Jump In. And second, (laughs) the trampoline scene. She knew what what movie she was in and she brought a silliness to it that I actually <laughs> thought was impressive for somebody that age. The moral lesson, <laughs> I don't know. There is no moral oh. lesson. 
Okay, no, I guess there is. I can't believe I'm about to say Mean Girls again, or Legally Blondes again. But we picked Legally Blondes for every single one. I th- okay, I think the thing with Legally Blondes is that when it comes down to it, it is a glorification of smart girls. Yeah. And I think that that is generally better. Yes. But I will say, we didn't even talk about the fact that, like, the anti-plastics and their, like, 2011 ass outfits. Yeah. Like, that does a lot for me. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the casting (laughs) of the friends for Joe was, like, puzzling to me. These are not, like, Disney Channel extras. No. No, these feel like they could have found them on the street. Yeah, and I was kind of intrigued by that. Agreed. I guess legally blonde. I guess blonde we're choosing wins. legally blonde. I guess we are. I think the premise is more fun. Yeah. And it's really bad. Yeah. However, the trampoline oh, scene wait. took it. <laughs> the trampoline scene took it. And also that part where it was the mean girl in the apartment alone with the dad. And I like fully thought she was going to seduce him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the way she was acting was so weird. I was like, this this feels oddly sexual. Yeah. Yes, um, the twins needed more acting classes. There are some deeply unsettling facial expressions that they made. That one scene, the, the scene where they are mad at each other and then their dad is like, you guys got to work this out. And then they're sitting outside. Not, I actually thought it was an improvement in their acting from the rest of the movie. I was like, I you know actually, what? yeah. They got their intimate moment in a scene with just them. They got to have their little catharsis. Yeah. I thought that scene was probably the most solid of the whole movie, but that is not saying much. Other than the trampoline scene. <laughs> well, that is <laughs> for a different reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, I guess in the SmackDown, shout out to Legally Blondes. You, yeah, took, you I, took the crown. I think I'm just less mad at Legally Blondes. Yes, agreed. Legally nice. Blondes <laughs> is just, I wouldn't call it thoughtful. <laughs> but no, I feel their intentions were good. <laughs> I think that they like genuinely wanted those girls to succeed. There's like a positivity to those girls' presence. Yes, yes. And it can be hella annoying. Yeah. Like there is not a single thought to be found. They are all vibes and I'm okay with that. Yeah, they're all vibes. Do we feel this way because we know their tragic backstory now? Maybe, but that had not happened yet when this movie was shot. True. So, but I did look at their Instagram like, the one that's it's, still up. It's a time capsule. It is amazing. Yeah. It yeah, was agreed. pure 2012, 2013, 2014. Yep. They so also good. get chosen because of that. <laughs> agreed. Because their strength of character. Yeah. And their archival on their Instagram. Thank you guys Stop. for going on this journey. Uh, I would say watch these, but like don't. don't. Don't like watch dumb. them. Because Except for the trampoline the scene. You're going to watch them and you're still, like, you're not going to get clarity on the plot nope. if you watch nope. them. <laughs> no. And, like, we might be, it, like, okay, one thing to clarify is, like, it's not a good hate watch. 
you can get a good giggle. I think I I could laugh a lot if I was like, if I took a little edible or something, I think I might be laughing the entire time. However, I was stone cold sober watching this one. Both of them, in fact. I was on a plane. I was restricted. That is horrible. I can't believe you did that. (laughs) Anyways, Audrey. As always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tubingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey A. Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Real Judy Garland on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. Please join our Discord server if you haven't yet. The link is in the episode description. You can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. Hats. Hats. And... If you you love Sleepover Cinema, leave us a kind review on Apple Podcasts. I've been working on my general positivity and I would like some affirmation. Not in this episode. I know this is not a good one to to make that statement on. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rolhoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Good riddance. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Tiffany, are you all right? I'll have my driver take you home. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.